Welcome to Passion for the Pastimes, where baseball lives 24-7, 365. Catch conversations with beat writers, broadcasters, current and former players of all levels. Now, here's your host, Walter Ica Balsetta. Uh, uh, <laughs> Whoops, I fumbled. I got to get out of here. Walter Ica Balsetta. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Passion for the Pastime Podcast. I'm your host, Walter. Another week in the books in the MLB offseason. What that means is that the owners' meetings in Arlington, Texas, has come to a close. There was a vote on the future of the Oakland Athletics, and we do have a result, a result that was expected but still doesn't feel good for the city of Oakland and their fans. We will dive into that as well. News out of the owners' meetings at the beginning of the week. Uh, The unfortunate news, Peter Seidler, the owner of the Padres, has passed away. So uh, we will definitely take a look at what that means for the Padres moving forward because he was the driving force of, I mean, you, you can look at A.J. Preller and all you want, but he was the driving force of the big spending in San Diego. So what that means for Juan Soto, what that means for Fernando Tatis, Xander Bogarts, uh, pending free agents, or not necessarily pending free agents, free agents who may not return back to San Diego with Blake Snell and others. So we'll dive into that and the domino effect that this may cause for the offseason. We do have awards that were given out. The MVPs, two unanimous MVPs, Shohei Otani, won his second unanimous uh, MVP this past offseason and a ton of rumors, yes, you guessed it, around Shohei Otani. The Giants, they have their new coaching staff. We will dive into that and the excitement that uh, Giants fans should be should be feeling right now on KMBR. We had a field day uh, with Matt Williams, with uh, Bob Melvin. We had Pat Burrell on earlier this week. I mean, all these, all these great c- coaches by the way, my favorite might be Brian Price. Uh, just listening to him, I might have f- favoritism because I heard him on the Pablo and Lund show, uh, my, the show that I run on KMBR. But uh, listening to the way that he talks about baseball just has to get you excited and uh, uh, just a breath of fresh air from the standpoint standpoint of a San Francisco Giants fan. So we'll dive into that as well, talk about those new coaches uh, wearing the orange and black, a lot of them familiar faces that uh, that you will uh, will learn to love if you don't love them already. And as I mentioned, rumors, Jim Bowden spoke uh, earlier this week about Shohei Otani and, and uh, what factors may roll into where he ends up playing next year. And we have a lot to to get into. So let's go ahead and do that. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And let's just start with the unfortunate news of the Oakland Athletics. Yes, we did mention last podcast that the vote that was going to decide the Oakland A's fate was going to occur in in the owners' meetings, um, which took place through November uh, 14th to the 16th earlier this week. And the results are in. I was actually pretty shocked at the results of the vote. It was unanimous. No one voted against the Oakland A's moving to Las Vegas. So that is going to happen, barring any setbacks. I mean, if we are to expect that there is not going to be a, a setback, a hiccup with John Fisher... Uh, yeah. okay. Well, Las Vegas is gonna gonna find out who the hell this guy is real quick. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be oh, can you pay for this? I don't want to pay for that. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of that going on. Uh, welcome your new owner, John Fisher, Las Vegas fans. Th- that that's gonna be a very interesting dynamic because you saw what the Raiders did and and with the Golden Knights and and their type of ownership and. It's it's just going to be a very different. Like, are are Las Vegas fans excited about this? Are they excited about the A's coming to town? <laughs> because let me tell you, I don't understand if there is going to be a change with John Fisher and his philosophy. 
the dude is cheap as hell. He's not going to spend money in Las Vegas. Just the Oakland A's, the A's organization, does not scream big money. I just don't understand this move. And I am a little biased. I will tell you, I, I am disappointed in that the A's are going to be uh, leaving. Last podcast, I actually cut out a big chunk of me discussing the the pending uh, votes from the owners with, with this move to Las Vegas. I, I cut out a big chunk of it uh, because I figured we would get into it when it happened because it was inevitable. This was going to happen. Um, I just didn't expect it to be a unanimous decision. I thought that the Giants maybe would have said no. I mean, I, the Giants don't have an incentive for the, for the A's to stick around, let's be honest. Um, but I, I don't know. I just thought that someone would step up and – and not make it a unanimous decision, but it, that is what it is. And, and A's fans, I feel for you. I am no, in no way, shape, or form an A's fan. And the way that I talk about this vote, it may come off that I am an A's fan. I'm not. I, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, orange and black in my blood till I die. But what I do appreciate is all those years that I spent going to the Coliseum, going to see, not necessarily the A's, although the environment was fun every time that I'd go to a Battle of the Bay. I mean, it was electric. Yeah, everyone wants to say, oh, but it's more Giants fans there. Whatever. The the, the right field bleachers, they were electric out there with their drums, with their flags. I mean, shout shout out the A's fans that are diehard because I know that there are a lot of you. Uh, There's a lot of you out there that are in pain with these A's moving to Las Vegas. And I, I you know, I'm not in pain, but I but I do feel for you. Because the A's leaving, I mean, God, man, could you imagine a kid growing up right now that was watching the A's? And if they're a fan of the A's, I mean, kudos to you, kid. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what you root for, but damn, uh, kudos to you for being a fan of the A's. Uh, earlier in your life. But could you imagine kids growing up nowadays? They don't, they won't understand what it was to be in that plot of land of the Coliseum and of Oracle. I went to a Raider game once. I went, I went to one Raider game in my life. It was fun as hell. I went rooting for Alex Smith and the, and the Kansas City Chiefs. But it was fun as hell. Nobody knew I was rooting for the for the Alex Smith and the Kansas City Chiefs. I wore a black T-shirt. Uh, I did have a Alex Smith jersey on, but when me and my uncle got to the bar station, I made the executive decision. I said, "You know what? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I am not going to do that. I am leaving it in the car. I'm going in a black tee. Let's let's rock to the Coliseum." So we went. It was a fun time. So I've been to a Raider game. Of course, I I was at the We Believe Warriors rooting for tacos, right? Rooting for for the Warriors' first championship. I mean, it was electric there at Oracle. Roracle, literally, that's what they would call it. Roracle, loud fan base in that arena. And then you go to the A's, right? You go to the A's, it's the same, it's the same people. The same group rooting for the Warriors, rooting for the Raiders, all rooting for the for the A's. So I've experienced being at the Coliseum and at Oracle and watching games and, and experiencing the electric atmospheres. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Oakland fans were one of the best fan bases out there. And it is just heartbreaking. That kids nowadays, growing up in the future, if you live in the city of Oakland, if you live in Hayward, if you live in anywhere in that East Bay area, that you will not understand what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. The pride Oakland Raiders, Golden State Warriors, at Oracle Arena. And then the Oakland A's. It's just sad. Because I remember being a kid. And of course. 
Grew up a Giants fan. Grew up a 49ers fan. Grew up a Warriors fan. But I very vividly remember the first time I went to the Coliseum. And you wouldn't believe it, but it was a Scherzy giveaway. The black athletic Scherzy of Mark McGuire. (laughs) And I wore that thing every time I went to the park. Everyone looked at me like, what the hell? Aren't you a a Giants fan? And I'd say, yeah, but I'm a baseball fan too. That's that's where that came from. (laughs) That's where that came from. I I was always like, oh, I'm a baseball fan. And then the Coliseum kind of took on this life of its own in my life to where AT&T, Pacific Bell, now Oracle Park, Pac Bell, whatever, whatever names that it had. I always love it as AT&T. That's what I'll always remember it by. Every time you go out to that stadium for the Giants, you're going out there, you're having a good time, getting a couple beers, hanging out, maybe go down the slide. I don't know. Walk around a little bit. It's it's a it's an environment. It's a uh I don't know, it's a different feel. I mean, yeah, you go to watch the game, but there's so many other things for you to interact with that it's just different. But when you went to the Coliseum every single time, and of course I'm not an A's fan, I'd go to to watch the other team. And that was the that was the other thing too. I guess now because of the balanced schedule, it doesn't affect me per se in this way because the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and you know all the teams in the American League they're going to come to Oracle Park to the National League parks every other year so I won't feel the effects that much but five six seven years ago every time the Yankees would come every time Mike Trout and the and the Angels would come to Oakland my my love for for Vlad Jr. and the Blue Jays. Every time they'd come to Oakland, you best believe if I wasn't tr- if I wasn't going, I tried to get out there. I took notes, and and everyone that works with me, you'd know. I had a Oakland A's schedule. Also had a Blue Jays schedule on there, but I had an Oakland A's schedule on my desk, along with the Blue Jays, along with (laughs) the Giants, along with the Warriors, along with the Niners. I had that schedule there because I wanted to know who was coming into town when I needed to go see the Yankees, when I needed to go see the Blue Jays, when I needed to go see the Angels. My first game this year, I went to a game that was not the Giants. I went to opening night at the Coliseum with my guy Marcus, the water boy, and Copes, Adam Copeland. My coworkers, we went out there. We 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 love ball and we went out there on opening night to go see Shohei Otani pitch. That was the type of thing that the Coliseum brought to me was that every time I knew I, I was stepping in there, and shout out to Marcus actually, his last experience I mean, I'm sure he'll go, but his last experience to this day was seeing a perfect game with his Yankees. (laughs) You guys remember that? Domingo Herman threw a perfect game at the Coliseum. I think it was a day game, too. I I was so bummed uh, because I couldn't go. Actually, no, I think it was a night game. I I don't remember. I was supposed to go to that game. I did not end up going. I was bummed. But that was the last time Marcus was. So shout out, Marcus, for for doing that. That could have been, uh, that could be his last baseball game at the Coliseum if he doesn't go this year. I'm sure he'll go when the Yankees come to town one last time. But if I'm Marcus, I might not, I might not want to go to another game. I might just say, hey, my last, that's pretty cool to say. My last game at the Coliseum, I saw a perfect game. I wouldn't want to step foot in there again because it's, this is literally going to be the last year. I, I don't think that the, that the A's are going to uh, continue at the Coliseum. It's going to be weird enough for this year. I mean, if you're an Ace fan, are you going out to the Coliseum? Anyways, 
I don't, I don't know if I would. If the Giants were were leaving, I'd probably be sour. I I wouldn't go to another game. I mean, we saw the attendance numbers last year. It's gonna be worse this year. It's a very weird situation. But the Coliseum, what I knew it as was, I knew I was going to go watch ball. Every time I went. A couple times I went to a doubleheader with my uncle. We stayed at the Coliseum for what seemed to be eight hours. Got there for a doubleheader. We didn't we didn't leave. Incredible. You go there to watch ball. And unfortunately, the A's will be leaving to Las Vegas. Now now the question is, am I gonna get my ass out to Las Vegas to go watch a baseball game? <laughs> I probably will eventually. One time I'm out there in the summer. There's baseball. Giants are in town. I'll, I'll head out to the, the stadium, possibly. I don't know. Depends how hot it is. I saw renderings of that stadium. It's supposed to be outdoor. I hope they have a retractable roof. Not making baseball. Unless you have later starts. You start the game at like 7.30. Actually, actually no. Because, well, yeah. I, get, I don't know. Games are going to be hour and a half anyway, so hour and a half in the heat. Maybe you don't die of a heat stroke. I, I don't know. <laughs> they'll they'll uh, they'll decide that. But the A's, oh man, I, I feel for you, A's fans. Literally, I, I mean, I, I I'm just sad that it has come to this. Uh, John Fisher is a horrible owner. Never been a good owner for as long as I can remember. I don't see that changing. The city is not going to change how the owner operates. City of Las Vegas is going to get fleeced. I don't see how this is going to end in any way other than a train wreck and eventual sell of the team. I just I don't I don't see what the city of Las Vegas is going to gain from this specific franchise going to the city. Uh now let's switch gears. A little bit to an owner that did not care what the price tag was. Peter Seidler. He passed away at the age of 63. Owner of the San Diego Padres. Sad day for the Padres fans, for their fan base. Hugh Darvish uh, showed up to Petco with a bouquet of flowers. Dropped it off on the steps. I mean... We're in an age now where we we know who the owners are of baseball clubs. They uh they definitely make their presence felt. The Mets with uh, Steve Cohen and Seidler out here on the West Coast, making his presence known. I mean, who were the Padres before Peter Seidler stepped in? The twenty fifth in payroll. Before he showed up, passes away, and the Padres are sitting there at number three in payroll. That's what the Padres became under Peter Seidler. Now, now the now the question is why I bring this up, and this has everything to do with the off season because I feel like there is a, a ton of dominoes in place here. With the passing of of Peter Seiler. Because how how are they going to operate moving forward? I mean, if you go ahead and look. Obviously, the the biggest elephant in the room is Juan Soto. Who is entering his final year of arbitration. He'll get somewhere around 25, 26 mil for this year. Arbitration. And then he hits free agency. Now, the thought process last year when the Padres were having a rough go of it, they were out of the playoff picture almost since like about May. They just had a horrible year. And the thought process then was, well, I mean, I asked the question. A lot of people asked the question as well. But I asked, was Swan Soto on the on the move? Is he going to get traded? Because then you would have had 
at least, if you're the team getting him, you would have had at least a year and a half of control until you possibly trade him. But then if you're the Padres at that point, well, why would you trade him? You still have a year and a half (laughs) of control at that point. Why? Why do that? Well, you might get more... More bang for your buck, I guess, if you traded Soto then as opposed to now. But still, Juan Soto at 25 years old, he's a top player in the game. You're still going to get a haul for this guy. It doesn't matter when you traded him. Traded him last year, if you trade him now in the offseason, or if you trade him at the trade deadline. I mean, trade deadline, yes, because you're only guaranteed half a season, but you're still getting Juan Soto. And if you're trading for Juan Soto... More likely than not, you have the intentions of keeping him. Then it's just a matter of, well, does Juan Soto want to play? You have half a year to convince him to stay with your team. But if you're a team making that move, more likely than not, if you're in the playoff picture and you have the resources to do so, you're making that move to make him a lifelong member of your organization. But now that's where the question comes in because the Padres have all this money allocated to you Darvish, to Xander Bogarts. I mean, holy crap. The money that he got, <laughs> I still I still scratch my head on that, on that one, to be honest. But now that you look at what Fernando Tatis is doing, they needed to sure up shortstop. All right. I kind of understand it, but still not really. I mean, he got 11, 11 years, $280 million. Xander Bogarts? Remember when that happened? I was like, uh, this is the, it's the guy from Boston, right? <laughs> I, I was very confused when that came down. But anyway, so they got Xander Bogarts. I mentioned Fernando Tatis. I mentioned you, Darvish. Fernando Tatis... Uh, he got that 14-year, 340-mil contract. It sounded good when it happened, which, by the way, his big money starts kicking in uh, next next year, in uh, 2025. So he's still under his uh, arbitration. They bought out his arbitra- arbitration years. And then his big money kicks in in 2025, 20 mil. Then it climbs up to 25 and 30, whatever. They backloaded it. But 14 years, 340. It looked a lot better when he was a shortstop. Now you're paying that for an outfielder? I don't know. So you got those guys. Uh, You got Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove is still with the team. And then you also have... Joe Musgrove also, by the way... uh, we're talking about contracts. Five year, a hundred mil. Uh, he's in a year, entering year th- two of that deal. So he still has three more years after this season. Joe Musgrove, about 20 mil each season. And then you got Manny Machado, which Manny Machado's money, uh, it's still as insane as when the when the deal came in. With Manny Machado. So the Padres have all this money to about five guys. Juan Soto can't be part of that deal. He can't be part of that grouping anymore. Uh, There was a, a chance that possibly, maybe, it happened under Peter Seidler. Even then, it, it was still a little unlikely that it would go down that way. But so with Seidler now gone, how is the Padres organization going to address that? We mentioned earlier, or not earlier, but we mentioned last podcast where we were talking about rumors, the latest rumors in, in free agency and trade markets, which we'll get to in just a minute. But you remember Juan Soto. John Morosi put out there 50-50 chance 
that Soto is on the team. That Soto is traded. And then later reports came out that he might not be on the team come spring training. And then a report earlier today, Jeff Passan came out, and this was exactly what Morosi thought and kind of the thoughts that I had as well, was that Juan Soto it becomes available, who's the team that's going to come knocking? Yeah, you guessed it. It's the pinstripes, the New York Yankees. The Yankees are going to be all in on Juan Soto if he becomes available sooner rather than later. And I bet you that they will do whatever whatever they can to get Juan Soto. But Juan Soto could very well be on the move. And let's just say it is the Yankees because the Yankees have the capability of doing that and they always make a splash, whether it be in free agency or in the trade market. That is what the Yankees do. That is what big market teams do. It's a possibility that the Mets get in there. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if they would, would there be a possible swap of Juan Soto for Pete Alonso? I mean, you still got to pay Pete Alonso. I think, I think they're both Boris clients, by the way. So you have that, you have that to, to play with. Scott Boris going to get the most for his clients. But Juan Soto, let's just say, let's run with that angle that he gets traded to the Yankees. Well, what does that do? For the market. Well, the Yankees have been rumored to be in on Yamamoto. Maybe that handcuffs them from going after Yamamoto and that shifts the the focus to, say, Sonny Gray or possibly Aaron Nola if they have a little bit more cash. So that that changes everything from free agent possibilities for the Yankees. But then also, a guy that's been rumored to his three teams, being the Yankees, the Cubs, and the Giants, Cody Bellinger. If Juan Soto ends up going to the Yankees, and again, this is a plan, I think this might be a plan B, but it might possibly switch to a plan A relatively quickly, Depending on where Juan Soto, or not Juan Soto, depending on where uh, Shohei Otani ends up wanting to play baseball. And we'll get into more Otani in a sec, but talking about Juan Soto right now. Juan Soto goes to the Yankees. It's just a ripple effect of what could possibly happen. Because also the Yankees happen to be involved with Matt Chapman. They really like him. They really want to bring him in. But Bob Melvin, new manager of the San Francisco Giants. We had Brody Brazil on earlier this week with Papa and Lund. And he came on. He said that Bob Melvin and Matt Chapman, when Chappie, he called him, when Chap, Chappie was on the, the A's, Bob Melvin and, and Matt Chapman had like a father-son relationship. You hear that, it's like, automatic. He's a giant. <laughs> so, so if you can get any leg up, and I mean leg up in the term of you know, Juan Soto ending up with the Yankees, and they just focus everything on Juan Soto and all that money, and, and they get him in a contract. Anything to get the Yankees off of guys that the Giants are going after because the last time it happened, it was Aaron Judge, Arson Judge, whatever you want to call him, and it didn't end good for the orange and black. So <laughs> anytime you can erase the Yankees from the equation, let's hope that it happens. Do I want Juan Soto as a Yankee? No, I don't. But if it benefits the orange and black, that may be a deal with the devil I'm willing to sign off on. If it means Cody Bellinger, if it means Chapman, if it means Blake Snell, hell, if it means Otani, I, uh, okay, let's not <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. 
But there's just a, a never-ending ripple effect of what this could what this could cause. And that's just a few examples there. I mean, hell, it might not even... I, I, I'm just saying. If the Yankees get Juan Soto, they might not be as aggressive. Hell, it might make them more aggressive. So, now that I'm thinking about it... <laughs> Maybe maybe the, maybe we don't want Juan Soto going to the Yankees because then it becomes an all-in year. They break the the luxury tax threshold for like the fifth, seventh consecutive year, and then they just go all in and they go get Blake Snell and they get Matt Chapman and they still go get uh, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> no, they're not going to do all that, but wouldn't that be nuts? If they did. Domino effect. Juan Soto to the Yankees. You think that's going to happen? I don't think that he's going to be on the on the Padres uh, for very long. It's just a matter of when he gets dealt. So it's going to be very interesting to see, to, to, fo- to follow that. But then also, the Juan Soto stuff is interesting. But you're not shedding any payroll there. When you go back to the Padres, all those contracts that I mentioned, Musgrove, Tatis, Bogarts, are they going to want to shed payroll because Siler isn't in the picture anymore? Is anyone going to want to get a Tatis? I mean, they're going to have to eat a good chunk of it. But if you can get off of it, would the Padres be willing to do that? Or has the culture completely shifted? I, I, I think that the culture came... And leaves with Seidler. I, I don't know how the Padres' ownership are going to be able to, t- to sustain that type of spending in San Diego. So then it becomes, well, what, what do they do? They could very well move on from Tatis. They could very well move on from Bogarts. I know he just signed that 11-year contract, but... If they're trying to reset sooner rather than later, eat some of that cash and reset with prospects. I guess it depends on what happens with Juan Soto. If you get a great haul with that, maybe you don't necessarily need to move on from Tatis because you'll have all these guys, all these all these younger players, prospects, Again, they're prospects, so you don't know what they'll become. So, again, it's just a ripple effect of what could possibly happen in San Diego. Controls somewhat what happens in free agency. So, it's going to be really interesting to see all that moving forward. Now, let's switch over to some rumors real quick before we end this podcast. Sticking with the Giants, because... Over the weekend on MLB Radio, Jim Bowden of The Athletic, former GM, uh, he went on there and said that the latest on, give a give an update on, on Shohei Otani. And, I mean, everything you take with a grain of salt, but Jim Bowden knows what he's talking about. So he, come out, he came out and said, dropped a bomb on us coming out of the weekend said that the Giants will offer the most money to Shohei Otani. As a Giants fan, you're like, no, they're not. <laughs> like immediately, I read the headline, Giants will offer the most money. No, they're not. But then you think about it, yeah, maybe they will, actually. But then he follows, you got to read the rest of the quote. Doesn't mean that he'll land in San Francisco. You're like, oh, damn it, Jim. <laughs> Why do you have to lead me like that? Why do you have to tease me like that? Come on, man. What are we doing? Says so the Giants will offer the most money, but that they won't land in San Francisco. Dodgers are still the favorites. Everybody knows that. We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, but what was very interesting was Shohei Otani. He mentioned Shohei Otani isn't limited to the West Coast as much as people think. Everyone has attached that to Shohei Otani that, oh, he wants to be on the West Coast. He wants to be closer to to Japan. It's a shorter flight, all that. Money talks, 
anywhere. But we all know that Otani doesn't care about the money. He wants to be where he can win year in and year out. He wants to win. That is the the ongoing constant. If you ask anybody, Jeff Fletcher down there with, with the Angels, if you ask Dylan Hernandez, anyone that has had ties to Otani and know his character, they know that he is dedicated to winning. That is what he wants. He has come out and said, I want to win. You saw him go through the gauntlet of the WBC, compete on the biggest stage against one of the world's biggest stars, his teammate, Mike Trout, in an electric atmosphere throughout the tournament, not just the final, throughout the tournament. Meaningful games. And again, that was that whole debate, and oh, getting hurt in meaning, meaningless games. It was meaningful as hell for Shohei Otani. Let me tell you that. If the best player in the world cares about the damn WBC, you better care about it too. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I digress. He got in that tournament and saw and felt the joy of winning. It got contagious. He wants more of it. He's going to go wherever gives him the best opportunity to win World Series, win, just win, win, win. Be the best player that he can be. That's where he's going to go. Bowden said that it's not limited to the West Coast because everybody was looking at, oh, well, it's going to be the Padres. Oh, it's going to be the Dodgers. Oh, it's going to be the Giants. It's going to be... The A's. No, okay. <laughs> Not the A's. Uh, Could you imagine Shohei in, in Las Vegas? The the attraction that that brings? Uh-oh. I want to give John Fisher any ideas. The Mariners. Everybody was thinking about all these teams. For Shohei Otani to go to. But apparently, Jeff Passan came out and said that the Blue Jays are apparently in on Otani. And then everyone's like, ah, he's not going to the Blue Jays. Blue, Blue Jays apparently want to do something big. Put that in quotation. Something big. Who knows what that is? But okay. Toronto is a possibility. Can you imagine him in the in the lineup backing up? Vlad Jr. Or hitting in front of Vlad Jr.? Having the backup? Of Vlad Jr., just having him sandwiched between Bichette and Vlad Jr., can you imagine that lineup? Is that enticing to, to Otani? Does that give him the opportunity to win? My Jays? Bet your ass it does. Houston Astros? Maybe? Texas Rangers? where he just beat out two teammates in the MVP voting. Marcus Simeon, the heart and hustle player of the year. Corey Seager, World Series MVP. Then you throw in Shohei Otani into that lineup. That doesn't entice him a little bit. The Rangers have shown that they want to win, and they've shown that they have the money for it. They wouldn't entice him a little bit. Just a little. He's familiar with them. He doesn't want to play for Bruce Bochy. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Otani on the Rangers would be ridiculous. But again, they just won the World Series, so maybe that takes him out of it. He doesn't want to do the whole, uh, the whole KD Golden State Warriors thing. Also, would, would, is there a team that Otani goes to? Just sidebar real quick. Is there a team that Otani goes to that makes him instantly a villain? Obviously, in the, in, the, in the minds of Giants fans, if he goes to the Dodgers, obviously he's a villain. But damn, I don't even know. If he becomes a, if he, if he becomes a Dodger, will he, will he be the only Dodger that I, dare I say it, root for? Oh, God. Ugh. I mean, 
<laughs> that made me feel gross. I don't even want to think about that. That sucks. I liked Mookie Betts before he was on the Dodgers. Loved him in Boston. Put on that uni in L.A., instant turnoff. I still like him, though. Don't root for him as hard. Actually, I don't root for him at all. Be a little hard for me not to uh, watch a little more Dodger games if Otani was on that team. But is there a team that he goes to and makes him a villain? I don't know. Guess it depends on who you root for day in and day out. Goes to the Texas Rangers who just won a World Series. Does he become a villain? Does he become that KD-esque? I know, no, he didn't lose to the Texas Rangers, but they were in the division. It may be the closest comparison. I don't know. Could you imagine Shohei Otani with the Atlanta Braves? Could you imagine? Two unanimous MVPs in the same lineup with Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna. God, that would be disgusting. You better put your bets in now if you're a Braves fan before that happens. Because there's going to be absolutely zero value <laughs> if, if Otani goes to the Braves. Zero, uh, zero value on the Braves if Otani goes there. It's, it's just a lock. Why even play the, the season? Just give it to him now. Would he go to the Phillies? Phillies are spending money. They, they, got, they got a lot of money on their payroll. We already mentioned the Yankees. Don't want that to happen. I'd rather have Juan Soto on the Yankees than Shohei Otani. I like Juan Soto and everything, but... It might be harder for me to stomach Otani as a Yankee than Otani as a Dodger. Does that make sense? I don't know. Mets? Go to the Mets? I don't know. It might not be as sexy if Pete Alonso's on the Giants, so we'll have to see, we'll have to see what happens. You like how I slip that in there? We'll have to see what happens with Otani. I mean, the fact that he isn't limited to the West Coast is a little nerve-wracking because then you have all these teams that have all this money that have much more complete and enticing lineups than the Giants, and I don't even know if Otani to the Giants is even a thing at this juncture. I just want the Giants to get somebody. Go get Bellinger. Juan Soto to the Yankees. Go get Bellinger, Chapman, because they're not going to be in on him. And get some pitching help. Blake Snell, that, that'll help. I don't want Sonny Gray. Let him let him go to the Yankees. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. All those lineups sound way more sexier if I'm Otani. I'd want to go there. It, honestly, if, if 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 it was up to me, if I was Shohei Otani and I had this decision to make, I would probably want to go to either Texas or Atlanta. That that oh man, that line, that lineup with Otani would be devastating. And they already have the pitching not pitching next year, but in future years, he'll be part of the rotation. They just traded Mike Soroka in a bizarre trade to the to the White Sox for a reliever. All right. I know he's good. I know he's a lefty, but that was, that was, a, little, that was a little much. A little much there. But yeah, I don't know. Does he want to go to the Blue Jays? Does he want to, it's going to be very interesting to follow the Altani sweepstakes. And let me just check my phone because it was buzzing a little bit. Uh, oh, the Giants have made deals with Mike Yastrzemski for 7.9 mil and Austin Slater 4 mil. Yay. I was hoping that it was Otani to the Giants or something like that. Nope, just uh, just Yastrzemski and, and Slater. Breaking news. <laughs> Just the news we wanted to hear as Giants fans. Fantastic. Anyways, let's uh let's wrap this podcast up. We are approaching the witching hour of the podcast, but let's go ahead and get into the final 
rumors of the offseason to date. The Mets may be in on Yamamoto. That'd be interesting. Join the club, Mets. Apparently, Kodai Senga, uh, who was part of the Rookie of the Year voting, who was a teammate, I believe, of Yamamoto at one point. He is pushing for the Mets to sign Yamamoto. So let's see how much pull Kodai Senga has. That'd be a pretty good line, uh, pitching rotation with Yamamoto and Senga. That'd be, that'd be pretty sick. But as I mentioned, join the club Mets. The Phillies, the Tigers, the D-backs, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets. The Dodgers, the Rangers, the Mariners, the Cubs, the Giants, and the Cardinals have all been linked to Yamamoto. So join the freaking club. Eloy Jimenez may be on the move. New GM in uh, on the south side of Chicago. Chris Getz, uh, always making moves, uh, already making moves. Just mentioned that Mike Soroka, Nicky Lopez for Aaron Bummer. And he came out and said that there's no untouchable. So Eloy Jimenez, 26-year-old uh, power bat, could be on the move. So that's the latest. Uh, Corbin Burns, we, we talked about this uh, last podcast, but Corbin Burns was on foul territory earlier this week with Eric Kratz. You know Eric Kratz, a former major league catcher. I've actually had him on, not the podcast, but I've spoken with him and Scott Braun of foul territory with uh, my weekends in the park with Marty Lurie, Bill Lasky, and Kerry Crowley. So if you guys haven't heard those interviews earlier this past year, go ahead and check that out. That should be on the KMBR podcast page uh, with Scott Braun and Eric Kratz. But Eric Kratz spoke with Corbin Burns earlier this week and kind of dove into why the Brewers haven't given him a contract extension. And Corbin Burns was really forthright. I mean, he was very honest in his answer. And he just came out and said that the Brewers respect him so much that they know that they can't match his price. uh, So they just didn't do it. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was a very bizarre uh, situation. Um, but I guess, I mean, I, I don't know. If you're the Brewers, if you know that you're not going to match his price and you don't offer the contract extension, I guess if they had that conversation, then Corbin Burns is, is more understanding. Um, that, to me, just sounds like dysfunction with the Brewers, and I don't imagine him being on the opening day roster uh, definitely not on the roster post trade deadline in 2024. But yeah, the exact quote was uh, that he said that his team hasn't sent him a contract extension offer out of respect for his worth in the market. Okay. I, I Again, I understand that. You don't want to step on toes. You respect Corbin Burns, but you don't even... Get into, I mean, is that just based on what they project his value to be? And is it really that high, that far away from what the Brewers would be willing to offer? I, I don't know. It's just weird because Corbin Burns is one of the top arms in Major League Baseball. So uh, the fact that the Brewers are just like, yeah, you know what? We respect you. We're not We're not going to lowball you. We're going to let you walk um, or we're going to trade you. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a bizarre situation. So look for Corbin Burns to possibly get dealt. Uh, the owners meetings just concluded, as we uh, mentioned earlier in the podcast this week in Arlington. But when we come back, because there will not be a podcast next week, it is Thanksgiving week. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone listening to this episode of the podcast. Happy Thanksgiving to you. But uh, there will be no episode next week. So when we come back, will Corbin Burns have been dealt? Uh, Possibly not. But after Thanksgiving, two weeks after Thanksgiving, actually, or or when we resume, it'll be a week uh, until the winter meetings in Nashville. That kicks off December 3rd through the 6th. And that is a a time period where there will be a lot of activity, a lot of trades, a lot of signings because everyone is in the same 
area, the same place at the same time. So it'll be a very active winter meetings, I believe. Uh, Shohei Otani, will he be signing during the winter, winter meetings? We'll have to see because uh, there's been very little reports, e- even with his uh, with his MVP teleconference or anything, uh, they couldn't get the audio working. Yeah, okay, you couldn't get the audio working? Really? Come on. It's Shohei Otani. Let's do better than that. But uh, so Shohei Otani, we'll see if he if he ends up signing. The big rumor is that Yamamoto is going to post uh, prior to Thanksgiving. So we have a couple of days there, but we won't be talking until after Thanksgiving. So we may be breaking down the uh, posting period of Yamamoto when we come back. Again, if everyone doesn't understand the posting system, how it works is. He has professional experience, so he doesn't fall under the international signing period. Uh, that's more for amateur talent, uh, and you'll see a lot of that happening in January. But but Yamamoto will be posting, and pretty much what that means is that there will be compensation to his team uh, in Japan. So whatever contract he signs, but you have 45 days to get that contract done. If it isn't completed in 45 days, then he returns back to his team in Japan, and we have to wait a whole other year for Yamamoto to make his MLB debut. So that is something to watch. Uh, Definitely going to be coming down the pipeline, I think, before the winter meetings kicks off. I think when we come back, it may be right before Thanksgiving or right after Thanksgiving that Yamamoto will be posted. So we'll have to keep an eye on that system. But... That is where we end this episode of the podcast. I just want to say thank you to everyone. I mean, we just mentioned Thanksgiving. I am thankful for everyone tuning into this podcast every week. Uh, your your listenership, your dedication to this podcast is what keeps me going. I love doing it. Uh, but knowing that other people out there enjoy listening to this podcast as well just makes me want to do it even more so thank you to the listener for listening to this episode of the podcast breaking down everything in the off season and we'll get back to it again happy thanksgiving we won't be back next week but we'll be back right after thanksgiving to break down everything that we may have missed within the week from when i leave you now to when we reconvene after thanksgiving so you guys have a good one be safe thank you for listening talk to you next time